Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we're going to do something a little different. I'm excited. Uh, We had a listener reach out and request that I be interviewed on the show. So today I'm going to pass the mic over to our COO and my business partner, John Scortino, and let him interview me. So going to flip the roles here. Hopefully you all enjoy it and take away some golden nuggets from our conversation. Real quick, before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind heading over to iTunes and rating this podcast with five stars uh, or wherever you listen to to the podcast? Uh, This helps us get more listeners and it means the world to me. Uh, It lets me, me know that there's other people out there listening and tuning in. So Thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, John, I'll pass it over to you. All right, let's dive in. Andrew, appreciate you bringing me on the show today. Give you a little introduction. Uh, Andrew Keel is the CEO of Keel Team LLC, a MHU Top 100 owner of manufactured housing communities with over 2,000 lots under management. His team currently manages 33 manufactured housing communities and nine self-storage facilities across more than 10 states. Andrew's current commercial real estate portfolio totals over 92 million in assets under management. His expertise is in turning around under managed manufactured housing communities and self-storage facilities by utilizing proven systems to maximize the occupancy while reducing operating costs. He specializes in bringing in homes to infill vacant NH plots, implementing self-storage revenue management, starting utility billback programs, and improving overall management of operating efficiencies, all of which significantly boost the asset value and net operating income of the properties. In order to successfully implement his management strategy, Andrew's team is known for being very hands-on. They usually move on location during the first several, several months of ownership. I know, Andrew, you and I, we've had our fair take in uh, on-site move-ons for some new acquisitions over the years. Yeah, you and I. How many have we done together where we've moved to a location? Was it three or four? I think it was about three or four, yeah. Uh, all all memories that will for, forever live in infamy in my brain. <laughs> yeah, I think the best one was in Ohio when my daughter, Aria, was one years old, moved into the front house in front of Deer Run. That's right. Oh my gosh. She's how old now, man? Yeah, she's five. She's in kindergarten. Five years old. Bring us back. Bring us back. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Andrew, this is really cool. How how does it kind of feel to be in the opposite seat here? I know you've been doing these interviews and uh, now it's kind of a little bit of a reverse roles here. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Like I said, one of our listeners reached out and was like, hey, you know, we'd love to, to hear your story, Andrew. And I yeah, I didn't really realize that like I haven't had an opportunity other than the show notes to really tell people about what I offer and what I do on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, I'm excited. This is cool. Sure. Well, that's actually a perfect segue. I'd love to kind of hear about your story. Can you give me a little bit of the backstory of you getting into the manufactured housing asset class? Well, I know you've heard it you know, multiple times, but uh, <laughs> for those of you that haven't, uh, I started out in Orlando, Florida flipping houses and wholesaling single family real estate. And through some yellow letters that I mailed out to a probate list, 
I got an opportunity to buy two mobile homes up in Ocala, which is like an hour and a half away from Oviedo, where I live. And I went up there, I bought these two, you know, 1990s mobile homes that were really nice. I mean, vinyl sided shingle roof homes. I bought two of them for $2,200. I'll never forget that number. $1,100 a piece. Got the titles, had no clue about mobile homes. I just came home. I got on YouTube. I had the titles in hand and, and typed into YouTube how to make money with mobile homes. And I came across a guy named Lonnie Scruggs who taught a course and wrote a book called Deals on Wheels, where he teaches people how to buy mobile homes and fix them up and then sell them on contract to create mailbox money. So that's exactly what I did with these two homes is I fixed them up, you know, just cleaned them up a little bit, like remove the, the debris that was in there, fix some of the, the holes in the drywall and put it on Craigslist. And I was astonished by the demand I had to buy these two mobile homes. And I was able to sell both of them for $2,500 down and $250 a month for five years. So those are my first two Lonnie deals. And I was like hooked at that moment. I was like, wow, this is this is where it's at. The demand exceeds supply. This is I need to be doing more of this. So I actually did 19 more of those Lonnie deals while I was also flipping a, a couple houses a year. And then uh, I met a park owner who started funneling me homes. He's like, oh, you, you, you rehab mobile homes and you know, for sure, come over to my park. I just want the lot rent. You know, I'll give you the mobile homes that need work. You fix them up and then you sell them. And I was just astonished that this guy was going to give me these homes for free. So we went out to lunch one day, the park owner and I, uh, up in Ocala. And I said, hey, how does this model work for you? And he basically laid it out and said, hey, when you own the park, you know, you really want to capitalize the income from the lot rent and not the park owned home rent because all the maintenance costs and so forth make the expenses higher. So I was just like, I had an aha moment. And then he also planted a seed and he said, hey, you don't need to be a millionaire to buy a mobile home park. You can pool together a group of investors and they can pay for the down payment and the improvement costs. So that was like, that was it. I literally, after that meeting, I stopped all the flipping of houses and I just went full cycle into learning about mobile home parks and how to purchase them. I went to seminars and boot camps and at one of the boot camps, the MHU boot camp with Frank and Dave that I did. In 2015, I met Tony, who was our, our very first investor. And, you know, he basically said, Hey, you know, I'm interested, but I don't have the time to do this. And I, you know, we, we, we connected and I ended up finding a deal off market up near St. Louis. And we did, I got it under contract, you know, reached out to Tony, who, you know, had a, a full time job, didn't have the time, but he had, you know, money that he wanted to invest in the space. So, that was a park in Edwardsville, Illinois. You know it very well. Still own it to this day, Quail Run. And it was 67 lots, you know, five states away, right? Because I was living in Orlando. But I moved up there after we bought it, infilled, I think, eight homes and rehabbed a couple more. And within less than two years, we were able to refinance that and pull out all the initial capital and then some. And then Tony said, hey, let's do it again. So we, we ended up doing five mobile home parks together, my very first five. And, you know, after that, friends and family started reaching out and wanted to invest. And, you know, I was able to get on some of the other podcasts in the space, you know, Kevin Bupps and Jefferson Lilies, and, and those helped create uh, additional, you know, investors that wanted to reach out and invest with me. And yeah, the rest is history. So now we, now we have 33 parks and I, you know, I know you've been involved in a, a lot of them. 
and it's just been an awesome ride. So, yeah. So you're telling me two mobile homes to 30 plus mobile home parks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. God definitely had a, a huge role in all of this, you know, certain situations and certain people that I've met, you know, that otherwise without his divine intervention, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I totally agree. Couldn't agree with you more, man. I mean, what, what I would do to have an Andrew Keel by my side as a Lonnie dealer, man, I, I think we can, <laughs> we can do some real damage in the parks for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that introduction and kind of giving us the backstory. How about the Keel team? Where, where you're at today? When did you buy your first park? And I know how many you're up to, but kind of give that backstory as well. And then how many have actually gone full circle? How many, how many have gone through to the end? Yeah, so we've purchased 34 mobile home parks. We sold one a few months ago. The price was just too good to pass up. Typically, we're not, you know, buy and sell like flippers of the, of parks. We're typically, you know, buy and hold, you know, long term and and refinance every so often. But you know, so we're at 33 parks under management now. And I, I was counting them up. Uh, we've actually done 20 that have gone full cycle. 20 parks where we've, you know, purchased them you know, improved them and then refinance them, pay back the initial capital. And now, you know, they're into long-term, you know, long-term financing. Most are with Fannie Mae. Wow. Great. And just a little side subject here. What's the timeline on those full cycles? I know it obviously probably varies quite a bit, but just wondering what that timeline looks like. Yeah. Typically when we buy one, I mean, you know, we put it on a five-year time horizon, but with interest rates going up recently, We've just expedited that like like crazy. You know, we've just like done all we've we could to infill as fast as possible. And I know you spent time, uh, or, you know, last year up in Michigan, you know, for six months trying to help expedite that Michigan portfolio. So it's just with interest rates rising, we wanted to lock in that long term debt and and be able to refi as quickly as possible. So there's some case studies on our website, but yeah, they, I wouldn't say that's standard, right? We we were able to do some of these in less than two years where you know, initially they were on five-year business plans. Right, right. Those case studies that you have on the, on the site, those are those are great. Super informative. Lots of lots of information on start of from acquisition up through, like you said, through full cycle. So really good read on each of those case studies. What do you think is the toughest hurdle for most operators in the MHP ownership world? But what would you say that would be? Yeah, I would say it's definitely management. You know, the, the property management side of the business is very intensive and it's not like other asset classes uh, like apartments, for example, where you can go hire a local third party property manager that has experience and understanding, you know, how to run the property. So, you know, we had to scratch start our own mobile home park management company and that's tough, right? I had to, I had to forego cash flow on those early parks to be able to hire some employees to come help me on the management company. And that that just took a lot of sacrifice to be able to set it up to the point where it is now. So I would say, you know, some people think that mobile home parks are passive and, and you can buy them and, and never worry about them again. And they just, you know, put money in your in your bank account. And I would say that that is not true. You know, there's a lot. It's an active business. You have to be watching it. And, you know, from a collection standpoint, I got it. I got it written up on the wall here. Collections, occupancy, the water sewer recapture expense property condition, and the budget actual difference. You know, those five things are most important and you need to have, you know, you need to have your finger on the pulse of those, you know, every month. Otherwise it can get out of hand and fast. Yeah. And those, those are the top metrics that we look at daily. Like you said, I think the management company 
building that up and being in it on a day-to-day basis is definitely, it's very tough, but it's also gratifying at the same time. Just seeing the evolution of the properties too is really cool. It is. So I know you've done a lot of value add parks. Uh, what would you say is the hardest value add component in the NHPs and, and, and why is that? Yeah, I think infill is going to be the, the hardest value add, right? Just because the, the process and the third parties that you're having to, to wait on and, and time appropriately, you know? So infill is going to be the, the toughest just because there's, it's not super complex, but there's just so many moving parts and you need to stay on it, right? It's a full-time job to stay on the infill process, right? You, you buy a home and it doesn't start, it doesn't stop there, right? You got to set up the transportation, and, and but even before that, right, you got to tear it down wherever it's at. You got to get it on the axles and wheels, and then you got to transport it, right? And and a lot of times the transporter won't do the teardown. So you got to have a teardown guy. You got to have the transporter. You got to have the installation crew. You got to have the guy that does the skirting, the guy that does the, the plumbing, the electrical. So it's just a process, right? And for someone just starting out that's just learning that on the fly, they could underestimate how complicated it really is. And then their timelines are going to get pushed back. So I would say that's one of the things you want to respect. You know, one of the mistakes that that I made early on is the concrete foundations, right? Like we we bought a park in Illinois, we bought brand new homes. And to get HUD certified, they had to have, you know, I think it was 48 inches deep, 24 inch diameter you know, concrete footers under where all the blocks would go. And that was really expensive, right? Because we were initially planning on used homes, which for some reason didn't require all that extra concrete work. So it's just a complex process and you want to make sure your budget is pro- is appropriate and your timelines are appropriate. I remember that transition from that, that used home model to the new home model and how much it ended up having to shift gears and, and very quick, how quick we had. We were fighting the elements, the weather was coming. That was uh, that was a that was an experience, but it's awesome to see that uh, that park finally, finally, finally yeah. uh, fully occupied. <laughs> yeah, and it's doing well. But like the little stuff that you don't think of up front, right? Like like you got to like you get the concrete work done, and then you got to let it cure, right? I think you had to let it cure for like two weeks. So we're like, all right, the concrete's done. Let's go. Let's get these things installed. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa! You got to let the concrete cure which basically makes it harden, right? You got to wait to make sure it hardens before you can put a home on top of it. So it's like little things like that, that if you don't know ahead of time, just push your timelines further and further away and can eat away at your profits. And those, those kind of hurdles that we had to climb, I mean, ultimately have postured us to a point in knowing those things today, which has helped us tremendously in be, being able to hit those timelines or at least say forecast what those timelines do look like. Yeah, I was telling an investor yesterday, that from every single mobile home park that we've purchased, we've added something to our due diligence checklist. You know, our due diligence checklist started, I think it was like 100 items, which was a pretty solid base, right? We got it from the boot camp with Frank and Dave. And since then, it's grown to over 300 line items. So it's just, it keeps getting bigger because we keep learning things. And it's like, hey, we need to check on that ahead of time next time. Hey, we need to add this. So yeah, I think that's, that's where track record comes into play and experience plays its role. And I feel like you got to continue to do that, right? You, you're, you're not never going to know everything. You, you, you can be very, very knowledgeable of one particular, but from one community to the next, I think we've always found that there's some little nuance that we learn from. And then it, like you said, it, it gets added to that, that DD checklist. 
Exactly. So how has your MHP investing strategy changed over the years in business and why, obviously, with the landscape of things evolving just over the last last two years, so much has changed? What, what's, what strategy have you guys uh, changed into over the years? Yeah, I, I think a couple things have changed. You know, one being the utility infrastructure, right? Like in the beginning, we were taking, you know, taking on more properties with private utilities. And now that we've ran those properties for a while and we've come across some of the issues with private utilities, we're shying away from them, right? Like, you know, we haven't purchased another property with a well since Deer Run because of, you know, all of the the issues and the maintenance and the cost associated. You know, it's not necessarily more expensive from the actual use of it and the recapture, but it's just the the headaches and the risk involved with running that system. So we're taking on less parks with private utilities and, and more with public. And then the other thing is, you know, our, my second park, Lytle, right? We bought that park, 31 lots. I wish it was 90 lots, right? So I think going after larger parks, you know, more so between 50 and 99 lots instead of going under that, because it's, a, it's the same amount of work, right? Like from a management standpoint, if you got 30 lots, it's actually harder to manage than a 70 lot park. Because now the manager at the 70 lot park, you can actually pay a decent wage, you know, to get more of her attention. So those are just a couple of things, you know, that how our, our strategy has changed. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Our management of those larger communities in comparison to the smaller communities that are stabilized ultimately are about the same. So it, it, yeah. it is a unique dynamic for sure. Yeah. Like the expense ratio, you know, on the larger park that we're able to like pay a manager more is usually less, right? It's usually like 30% or less where like oh, on yeah. Lytle, it's, it's higher Lytle and Sunnybrook. It's like, That's right. you know, closer to 35, 40%. That's right. You know, because there's, there's just less, less income coming in. So yeah. Same management, less income. And like you said, the man, the manager, unfortunately their, their compensation side of things, it's tough to, to elevate that at all. Yeah. So where do you feel is the best opportunity or strategy in the marketplace right now for MHP investing? I would say, you know, it's the hardest value add component, but it's also the most lucrative is infill, right? Infill opportunities, value add mobile home parks, where you're able to come in, buy a property that maybe has 50 to 60% occupancy, and then infill that park with a mixture of used homes and new homes to get it full because the demand is there. I think you were telling me just yesterday, we sold a home for 80K in one of our parks, brand new home that we had just brought in. And now, you know, we can be recapitalize and go do it again. So the demand is there if you can get the homes on the lots and you can get them, you know, ready to be occupied. So I think infill projects for, you know, people that have the ability to execute on them are a great way to invest right now in mobile home parks. I couldn't agree with you more. Obviously, the hardest part, the infill side of things, but obviously most the most value add that you can find and bringing in good homes, bringing in nice homes. And I think the dynamic of used and new is something that we've been doing as of late. And I think it's been a, a huge success for us. Yeah, agreed. So the success side of things, about mistakes, what sort of mistakes in MHP investing have you made that uh, the audience can learn from? Yeah, yeah, there's been many. You know, and and I think that's one thing I don't shy away from because, like I said, we've learned something from every single deal that we've done and added on and learned from it and added to our DD checklist. But you know, one thing that that just comes into mind is the transformer issue we had in Smithville, where mm -hmm. we purchased this park, we brought in, I think it was like 
20 new homes. And then, you know, we found out after the fact, like we got an electrician to inspect the pedestals, but you know, that was, that was the extent of the inspection we did in due diligence. We didn't actually have the engineer from the power company come out to tell us that, Hey, you got one transformer feeding 26 homes and they're all daisy chain. So the last guy in the run was getting brownouts and, and was having you know problem, you know, blow drying their hair because that, you know, it kept flipping a breaker. So issues like that, that now every property we buy, we have the engineer from the power company come out, show us where the transformers are, how many homes are being fed by a transformer and, you know, making sure that we're accounting for that if there's, you know, additional needed and we have to pay for them. Another thing early on that, you know, just for other operators out there that, that I didn't do on like our first five deals is I didn't take management fees. And that I think I wasn't able to hire fast enough. And I was doing everything myself from paying all the bills to managing infill projects to managing collections. So doing all that with one person is really tough. And then, you know, when the cash flow was there, I was taking the cash flow and then hiring other people to, to be able to help. So I think, you know, you need those management fees because you're going to be able to run the properties better if you do have a team that can silo off and, hey, you're responsible for background checks, you're responsible for marketing, you're responsible for collections. It just, it, it'll make you, you more specialized and you'll, you'll run a better operation. So that was one thing. And then, uh, you know, not hiring fast enough early on, you know, and then also hiring the wrong people, right? Like hiring people that didn't have the personality type for the role they were going to be doing, right? So when I learned about the predictive index, you know, that was, that was a huge step in the right direction because now I'm hiring people that have the analytical skills, you know, to be able to do the analytical jobs that are, you know, part of the company. So uh, those are a few mistakes, but I'm, I'm sure there's many more. <laughs> now the the growth of the management company i know you, you and i kind of being part of that right from the onset the evolution of that has been tremendous now how many employees do we have helping manage these communities now it's it's a pretty pretty big number isn't it oh it's huge yeah i mean you know across the whole organization i just added it up yesterday and it was it was 79 <laughs> so you know and that's the sales business the acquisitions business where we wholesale you know mobile home parks and self storage facilities and then also the property management company for storage and for mobile home parks. But yeah, it's a, it's a big operation and you, you, need, you need good people in, in the right seats, not just, you know, just on the bus. That's right. And, that, and that's running the parks. And that, now, now we've got the other side of the coin, the investors. Uh, what would be the most important thing that passive investors should be, should be looking out for when investing in mobile home parks? Yeah, I love this question. I love all the answers from the different operators we've had on the show. You know, I would say number one is track record, right? Experience matters. That's you know should be obvious at this point. And then the other thing that I, that's a little bit different from what the other operators have said that I think is important. You know, when I'm investing in operators, is liquidity of the operator, right? Like if the operator is broke and they're putting a deal together and something slides, which stuff happens, right? Like going over budget, for example. If you don't have the liquidity as an operator to kind of come in quickly and hey loan the company money or something or or, or you know fix something uh, with that extra cash, it just it's going to take longer and delay the project. If you have to like go you know to the bank and, and apply for you know a line of credit or something like that, or go back to the investors and and if you have a group of investors, not maybe not all of them want to contribute something like that. So I think track record and experience, and then also the liquidity of the operator 
are two really important things that you'd want to look out for before investing into a, a mobile home park. I mean, something that, that you talked about, the speed at which things move, uh, nothing worse than not having the capital to keep the train moving and trying to hit on all of those those benchmarks that are set forth to the investor group. So I, w- I would have to agree with you on that. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes? And, and why would you say say so? Yeah, good question. So I would say it would be a 99 lot mobile home park with 70 occupied and paying tenant owned homes and, you know, another 29 lots that are all plumbed and have the, the utilities sitting there. So all they need is a home brought in and, and set up. It's going to be public water, public sewer, direct build, which is a really attractive piece because that means that the municipality or whoever, you know, the water sewer company is, is going to be, you know, charging and billing the tenants directly for their usage. I would say it's in an MSA, right, that has 50,000 in population or more and is growing year after year. The, the MSA is, you know, average home price of over 100,000, uh, average three bedroom apartment rent of over a thousand a month. And I would say that. It has mainly new homes, you know, or, or newer homes, mainly pitched roof homes, right? Because there's a lot of parks out there that have older 60s, 1960s age homes. And what we've found from our experience is that those have higher turnover. Even if they are tenant-owned homes, there's going to be higher turnover because the homes are older and less efficient from a utility standpoint. So, man, I probably could talk for another five minutes about this, but I think that's a good high-level, perfect mobile home park. I agree. Uh, if, if I were to add any two cents to that, I would say the direct build of utilities would be something that would just open up my eyes and raise my eyebrows to a point of satisfaction. Not having to have your hand in that cookie jar makes things tremendously easier. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All PVC water and sewer lines you know, would be a, a perfect park as well, right? Underground. Yeah. Find me that. Where's it at? <laughs> <laughs> So, Andrew, what, what does the, the future of MHP investing look like, and how do you see the MHPs fitting with the direction of the the economy as we see it today, and the way it's going? Yeah, yeah, I would say you know mobile home parks being the most affordable form of of non subsidized housing is going to do well, right? Especially the tenant owned home parks. I think that's going to be you know one area that we see you know do better because. It's so inexpensive to live there, right? If they're just paying lot rent, they're paying their utilities, they own their home, they have that pride of ownership, there's going to be less turnover. And we've seen it, right? Like the, the business model works. If they own their home, the turnover's you know, 5% or so per year on the tenant-owned home model. When, when you have park-owned homes, even the ones you're selling on, on contract, right? You're going to have turnover. There's going to be things that happen in those people's lives and they're, you know, it's still, you know, it's not expensive, but it's still a higher monthly payment that they need to make. And you know, when their incomes are are lower, it, it they're more fragile. So I would say that as the economy, I, I see us going into a recession. I think the Fed has to continually raise interest rates to to get rid of and stomp out inflation. And I think there's going to be some ill effects, you know, in the economy in terms of unemployment and so forth. But I see mobile home parks being as steadfast as they have been in the past. Same thing with self-storage, where they've performed you know, well. They're not recession-proof, uh, but recession-resistant. 
So yeah, I, I feel comfortable in the asset class with our investments. And I think they will do, you know, they will do well. You know, I think cap rates for mobile home parks have been, you know, really low. The pricing that people are paying for mobile home parks, it's getting competitive. But I think with interest rates going up, we will see some some prices get reset. And yeah, I'm excited to try to pick up some good opportunities, you know, from some situations that maybe you know, go south for other operators or other other owners. Good insight there. Good insight. Well, Andrew, this interview has been been awesome. So much valuable information. And I'm, I'd imagine those that are listening now probably want to have some uh, platform to be able to reach out to you. Where could listeners reach out and get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way is is our website, keelteam.com. You can just go to the contact form and fill out to contact us and, and we'll get in touch. You can even set up a one-on-one call with myself. So it's just keelteam.com, K-E-E-L-T-E-A-M.com. Good deal. Andrew, do you have any final words? That's it, man. I appreciate you coming on and, and interviewing me. I know we have a, an interview coming up where you know I'm going to be interviewing you. So I'm looking forward to that one. But yeah, that's it. Thanks for thanks for doing this. No problem. No, I really do look forward to that uh, that interview as well. Kind of flip the coin yet again. Now you interviewing me, and uh, I look forward to it. So uh, thanks for much for coming to the show, and I appreciate uh, everybody tuning in. And that's that's it for today. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so. Would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021, and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.